invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. We are in um, we are in a very powerful passage and a very unique passage. So we are working our way through the book of Acts, and we are seeing how God is transforming the world person by person, city by city. And now we are looking at this very dynamic passage from Acts chapter 8 that I think will will be not just encouraging to all, but will, will be transformational. Let's pray here, and then we'll jump into our time together. Father, we need you this morning. God, you are such a faithful and good and loving God. And I pray that you would use this time to make us more like you, that you would use your gospel to change us, that this word that we read this morning would not just be uh, something that seems um, like uh, a normal thing we do, but Lord, it would be it would be inspirational. It would be something that we understand that's living and that can change us, uh, change us forever. I pray that we would approach this time as we hear from you, Lord, uh, with reflection, with intention, knowing that Lord, you will and can speak. And I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So last Sunday night, uh, many of you witnessed, uh, really, I think, just another. Uh, notch on the belt of a dynasty, and that is the sixth Super Bowl for the New England Patriots. How many of you were legitimately excited that the Patriots won yet again? I know there's a couple. Okay, okay, more than a couple. Um, it's unfortunate because uh, they cheat, and um, they're. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm not kidding. Maybe they. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. The point is this. Since the fall of 2001, the NFL has experienced a truly unstoppable force. Like when you just look at how many divisions they've won, how many Super Bowls they've won, uh, just their overall success. They've only, in the past, what is it, 17 years, they've only missed the playoffs twice. And um, they almost had a perfect season, uh, except for a crazy lucky pass or catch by uh, a New York Giants wide receiver. They, they would have had literally the best record ever. They have been an unstoppable force. And, and it's, it's amazing because you'd think it'd get old, right? You'd think the winning year after year would get old, but you know what they do every year? They relentlessly advance. Every year, the same approach, the same mentality, and more or less the same results. It's truly, it's almost like this unstoppable nature. And, and I think, honestly, people get so frustrated because they, they, no matter what they do, they can't stop them. Now, I hate to break this to you, but Tom Brady is 41. Bill Belichick is getting up there. And there will be a point, I'm sorry to say this, Todd, where the New England Patriots will no longer be the unstoppable force that they are today. <laughs> That's why I love you, Dana. <laughs> Amen. Now, here's what's crazy. Whether it's in football or in any other, in any other story, sport, you name it, there's no matter how 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 high the rise of, of that leader or that team may be, there's always, seemingly always, a fall. Where which once looked as unstoppable is now ordinary. What we find in scripture. And in the book of Acts is that God advances his gospel 
And this gospel is truly, truly unstoppable. There is nothing that can stop God's unstoppable gospel. And here in Acts chapter 8, we see three different ways that God advances his gospel. And as God advances his gospel, to no surprise, where people live and where people work and where people play are changed. So when we look today in Acts chapter 3, we're going to see essentially three ways that God advances his gospel. And the first way that we see that God advances his gospel, and this may seem ironic or contrary, but God advances his gospel by allowing difficulties. I want that just to set in for a minute. God advances his gospel by allowing difficulties. Doesn't that seem a little contrary at first? Like when we think of advancement, we normally think of like success and victory and strength. But here God chooses to use difficulties as a means of advancing his gospel. Look with me at Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Or Acts chapter 8, excuse me, uh, verse 1. You can look up on the screen behind me. It says in, in verse 1, And Saul approved of his execution, referring back there to Stephen, but also foreshadowing chapter 9. And it says, And there arose on that day a great what? Persecution. Now, persecution is a word that we're probably familiar with. But I would probably dare say we've never truly experienced, especially like these people here do. But they ex experience persecution, which is, a, which is a direct attack, physically speaking, at their love and commitment to Jesus Christ. So they experience a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all, say this word with me, scattered. It's kind of a funky word, isn't it? They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So as you read those three verses, just in seeing the scene there, would you assume that the gospel is advancing? Or let me ask you this. Would you assume that's a setting where the gospel could advance? No, we would think just the opposite, right? I mean, you got this dude named Saul. Think about this. What is he doing? He's entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Can you imagine what fear there would be in the church if there was this dude who was roaming your neighborhood, coming to your door and taking you or your spouse off to jail because of your love for Jesus? It would probably change the way you think about life, right? It would probably change the way you think about Christianity. And this persecution was so strong in Jerusalem, what even happened to the church? It's, it, it does what? It scatters. Now, I think of scattering. This may draw up a creepy illustration for you, but I think of like roaches. You know, like when you go into your garage, or maybe not my garage, but go into someone else's garage, and you turn on the light, and what happens? Like, you know, the, those little suckers, they just like, oh, they're nasty. And they scatter. And when you think of scattering, like you don't think of intentionality. You don't think of like purpose. Like you would have thought, maybe, maybe I would have thought, like after how this this story has gone so far that if 
the disciples were to fulfill this command by Jesus to go into all the world and preach the gospel, there would be like this big meeting where like everyone's like, all right, here we go. We're going to go out in these teams. We're going to go and, and, and advance you know, the gospel for, for the sake of, and glory of God. But look what God does here. He allows persecution. And look what this persecution starts to do. This persecution begins to fulfill his purposes. So God advances his gospels by allowing difficulties because these difficulties fulfill his purpose. Notice that beginning on the day of Stephen's death, this persecution arises. However, what seems to be maybe one of the darkest moments of the church in Jerusalem turns out to be exactly how God planned for his gospel to go. Because do you remember back, it's been a couple months now, to Acts chapter 1, when Jesus commissions his disciples. He gives them this, he gives them this plan to go into all the world, but he says, beginning in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth, I want you to take this message. So far, where has this message gone before this moment? Where has it gone? Has it gone beyond Jerusalem, yes or no? No. Still in Jerusalem. So there's this moment where it seems like, okay, is God's church growing? Well, we've seen that it has been, right? It's been growing in Jerusalem. But now there's this moment of, okay, God is going to fulfill his purposes. It's his story. It's his kingdom. It's his glory. He's going to advance his gospel, and he allows difficulties to do that. They're going to fulfill his purpose, but they're also going to fuel our obedience. Look at verse 4. You see, when, these, when this gospel fulfills God's purposes, I think it also fuels our obedience. Look at verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about, are you ready? Went about what? Preaching the word. So God uses what could have been a horrific moment. Remember Stephen's death? It was terrible. And all these people are watching it, and there's this dude named Saul who's coming in, taking people off the jail. God uses that persecution to scatter his church, but when that church is scattered, it doesn't stop their obedience. And God uses this dark moment in the life of the church to take men and women and to take them into Judea, into Samaria, so that they can begin to fulfill the plan of God. And even though it came at the the cost of someone's life and persecution that followed, God uses difficulties to fulfill his purpose and to fuel his obedience. I've shared this with you all before, but I think it's, it's pertinent to this moment. When my dad died when I was 13, it was very easy for me to look at that setting and think, like, God, what are you doing? Like, why would you allow this difficulty in my life? And and whether it's been the death of someone, the loss of a job, or some difficulty you've experienced, when we experience difficulties, our first, usually our first thought is to question, like, God, what are you doing? Like, how could you allow this, right? That's a fair assessment, right? But we have to understand when God allows difficulties, he has a purpose. Matter of fact, he's fulfilling his purposes to fuel our obedience. And so now looking back, you know, now 20 years, 20 odd years later at the death of my dad, I don't look back at that anymore and say, God, how could you? 
Man, I look back at that and say, God, thank you. Because God used that dark, difficult moment to change my life. And consequently, through changing my life, he's allowed me to share that story and others with others. And God could be using a difficult moment in your life right now to fuel your obedience. He could be using a difficulty right now in your life, vocationally, relationally, in the home, out of the home, wherever it may be, to fulfill his purposes to fuel your obedience. So I find it ironic that God uses difficulty to advance his gospel. But he doesn't just use difficulties to advance his gospel. We find secondly here this morning that God sends missionaries to advance his gospel. Now this may seem like the most basic thing, like, yeah, no duh, God sends missionaries. But I want you to understand just for a moment what a missionary is. Like literally, this word describes someone who has been sent on a mission. Now, I think for most of us, when we hear the word missionary, we think some Christian going to middle of nowhere, dealing with, like, foreign or natives, and, and something crazy happens. Like, I think we have, like, this uh, dramatic or, like, even, like, cinematic view of what missionaries are. When you understand simply what a missionary is, it's someone who's been sent on a mission. And when you understand what God is doing here on a church, in, in, in Book of Acts and with his church today, I've got news for all of us. We are all missionaries because we've all been sent by God on a mission to bear his glory, his good news, his gospel, where we live and where we work and where we play. And that's why we can think differently about the world we live in because God has sent us to this world on a purpose to bear his good news. He sends missionaries with the good news of Jesus to change the world around them. That's the theme of the book. That's the theme of the whole scripture. That's the theme of our life today. But specifically, we encounter Philip. And, and this story of Philip is it, it, such a cool one. And I want to I work through this quickly because there's a lot of substance here. So uh, if, if, you're, if you're not awake, time to wake up, time to buckle your seatbelt. So we've got to move through a significant portion here, okay? So y'all ready to do this? All right, Stephen's life. This is a missionary, and God sends missionaries, and you shouldn't be surprised to share the gospel. But sharing the gospel isn't just how we may think it is. Because, yes, it is in word. Look at what Stephen does here, starting in verse 5. Or, excuse me, Philip. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Why is that significant, first of all? Why is the city of Samaria significant? Does anyone know? Because this is God fulfilling his purposes to Jerusalem, to, to Judea, to Samaria. This is God doing what God says he will do. And you know what God, you know how God chooses to do his purposes? To use men and women like you and me. So he uses Philip here to go down to the city of Samaria and proclaim, literally preach to them who? Jesus Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. So if we're going to be missionaries, people who are sent on a mission by God, it has to involve sharing the gospel. Now, I, I, realize, like, I realize you may understand that like intellectually. I want you to think about this. 
if we call ourselves missionaries, if we understand that we are on a mission, but if we're not sharing the gospel with others, are we fulfilling God's purposes, yes or no? No. So if we're going to say we're missionaries, this is what we're told to do, to share the gospel. And the simplest sharing of that gospel is telling others in word about Jesus. But notice the sharing of the gospel here isn't merely in word, it's also in action. Look at verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him. And notice what it says there. And saw the signs that he did. Here are the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And I love how verse 8 describes the context. And so there was, there was much what in the city? There's joy. You know why there was joy? There was a missionary sharing the gospel in word and in action. Now, I want to pause here because you may think, well, how can I be a missionary like this? I can't, yeah, I can maybe speak the gospel in word, but I can't do miracles like this. Let me, under, let me explain something to you that we've talked about the past couple weeks. The work of the Spirit accompanies the preaching of the gospel. And what we have here is the Spirit of God using Philip to essentially authenticate his message through signs and wonders. And do you remember what signs and wonders are, how we've like reduced them to their simple form? Signs and wonders are actions that point people to God and show others what God is like. In this moment here, because if you think about it, Samaria literally has never heard the gospel. Like, they've never heard in this way about Jesus. And so consequently, the Spirit of God is accompanying the gospel of God, and amazing things are happening. In our lives today, can we still share the gospel in word? Of course. Can we still share the gospel in action? Now, our actions may not look like Philip's, but can we point people to God by how we live? Can we show others what God looks like by the choices we make? 100%. So even though our story may look different than Philip's, we are still missionaries who've been sent with the gospel, not just in word, but in action. But I want you also to notice that the, the work of this missionary is not just to share the gospel, the good news about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's also to speak the truth. Now, we're going to look at a very, very strange story here. Uh, it's, a, it's a story in, in Acts 8 here about a guy named Simon. And uh, this is a unique story with some unique circumstances. Like I said, just stay with me here. So Philip is going to speak the truth. And, and in speaking the truth, he's speaking to those who oppose the gospel. Follow along with me as I read verses 9 through 13. Says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. So I want to just pause here for a moment. Like when I think of like magic, I think of like, um, I don't know, like like tricks, like with cards and, you know, things that are silly, like. Uh, you know, th- you'll, you'll find people on social media doing, like, weird magic. There's that guy who sits in a cafe and, like, pick a number, one through ten. I don't, you know, like, we think of magic as, like, silly tricks or crazy illusions. 
obviously what he's doing here is not like pick a, num- pick a card, any card. It's something far, far more sinister. And it's something um, that is far more, um, it, it, he is looking to advance the, the gospel of Simon. Because notice, notice how he identifies himself. He identifies himself as somebody great. Look at, what, look at verse 10, how it describes the people. It says, they all paid attention to him. From what? The least to the greatest. Notice what they say about Simon. This man is what? The power of God that is called great. So obviously whatever Simon was doing as a magician was something so significant that the people in the city of Samaria, from the least to the greatest, were saying that dude is unlike any other guy we've ever seen. So this sets the backdrop now because look what Philip is doing. It says in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And this is where it gets really interesting. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And notice here, once again, a foreshadowing by the author of Acts, Luke. It says, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, how did Simon respond? He was what? He was amazed. Why would you think Simon would be amazed at what Philip was doing? Why do you think? Yeah, it's the real deal. And what was he doing? He's doing magic tricks in comparison to the Spirit of God. So here you have this guy who's proclaiming himself as great. Philip comes in and preaches the gospel, works, does the work of the Spirit, lives are changed, and you see that even Simon himself is expressing this belief and follows in baptism. So you would think that's where the story ends with Simon, but it just gets a little bit crazy. Because this missionary is speaking the truth to, to someone who at first opposed the gospel, but now what we find is looking to abuse the gospel. Look at verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let me make a couple comments here. First of all, through Peter and John's participation, this mission of Philip was given the stamp of approval from the mother church in Jerusalem. It wasn't just an undertaking of a maverick missionary. What we find that when Peter and John come down, they endorse enthusiastically and participate in the spread and growth of the church. But is there any significance in the fact that the Spirit was received through the apostles laying their hands on the Samaritans? So we have a unique moment in the life of the church. And that is the church is starting to expand beyond Jerusalem. And do you remember just a few verses ago, it said that when the church scatters, everyone leave except who? Who stays in Jerusalem? Do you remember? The apostles, which is very interesting. What you have here, though, is Peter and John coming down. And this is where I think we can see this as a beautiful moment. These witnesses of Jesus Christ who received the gospel directly from him, 
who then Peter declared the gospel in Jerusalem, is now seeing obedience of that mission. Philip is fulfilling the plan of God, going to Samaria, and what you have now is the confirmation and really truly affirmation of the apostles that what Philip is preaching is true, and consequently, when they lay hands on these people, they receive the Spirit. I want to say this. This is not the norm. This is a unique moment in the life of the church. This is a unique moment because, A, people are leaving Jerusalem finally, and B, the gospel is fulfilling the plan of God. And so consequently, C, when these men come down, they lay hands to to give the gift of the Spirit. Do I understand all of this? You know, I'll be honest with you. It is challenging to understand exactly what and why this is going on. The point being is this. We understand that God is advancing his gospel. And God can do whatever God wants to do. And God in this moment chooses to use men just like you and me to go and take a message to people who had never heard this message before. And guess what happens? Their lives are changed. However, in this, what seems to be an amazing moment, we see a very dark undertone. Notice with me what happens here in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, look what this guy does. What does he do? He gives them, he offers them money. Now, if you can imagine, Peter doesn't take too kindly to this. He says to them, he says, give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter says to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So here in this moment, what we thought was going to be this sweet celebratory moment now all of a sudden turns dark because this guy who seemed to be someone who was following Jesus is not just looking to abuse his gospel for his own gain. Now we shouldn't be surprised by that because he was already doing stuff like this before, right? He was practicing magic, calling himself great, and now he's seen what Philip's done, and now what Peter and, and John can do, and he's like, dude, I got some money. Like, can you hook me up with this? Like, he's like looking at this as like, this is going to be an amazing thing for him. But when we give the gospel, it's not just to those who oppose it. It's also to those who abuse it. And Peter tells Simon here to repent of his wickedness and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. There's three things I want to take away from this odd passage here before we conclude this morning. Even though this is so unusual, right? I mean, like, when you read through the book of Acts, this is, has, I think, one of the most unusual settings in all of Acts. I want us to take three things away from this, this, this little interaction here with Simon. Number one, when speaking the truth to those who oppose or abuse the gospel, 
you can expect difficulties. Like when you share the gospel with someone who's not a believer, it's not easy. Like they're not going to agree with you. Very rarely will you have someone respond like, oh, I needed that. No. They're going to look at you and think, you're crazy. You live a weird life. I don't want any part of that. Here you had a guy who received the gospel so gladly because you know what he saw? He saw his boy Philip doing things that he was like, I want to get in on that. And we see what his true heart was. So when you share, when you speak the truth to those who oppose or abuse the gospel, you can expect difficulties. When you speak the truth to those who oppose or abuse the gospel, you have to rely on the Spirit for wisdom and power. Like if you think about that moment there, it was dicey. I mean, here you have these people who are in a foreign context sharing the gospel, who are interacting with people who have never experienced this before. Peter and John and Philip needed the, the spirit to give them the wisdom and the power to say exactly what they needed to say exactly when they needed to say it. And then finally, when you're speaking the truth to those who oppose the gospel or abuse it, point them towards repentance. Point them towards turning from their beliefs and point and, and, and encourage them to, to turn to Jesus. This is the heart of the gospel, turning from our sins, from our rebellion, and turning to the one who can actually change us. And what's interesting about this is that we don't necessarily understand or see what happens to Simon. The story just continues on. God advances his gospel by allowing difficulties, by sending missionaries, and then finally this morning by creating opportunities. And this is a familiar passage, so we're, we're just going to rejoice. because This is one of the most exciting and powerful moments in the book of Acts. Verse 20, 26, or 25 says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now, verse 26, it says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. You see, God creates an opportunity for Philip to go and share the gospel. And this opportunity is created for us to obey God's calling. Because notice what Philip is told to do. It says, And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So here you have this moment where all of a sudden Philip is now given another opportunity to advance the gospel of God. And God gives him an opportunity to obey God's calling in his life. And specifically, God points out exactly who Philip uh, is to minister to. And what I love about this is in, in this moment, this Ethiopian man may just seem like some dude on the road. But if you remember back to Acts chapter 1, God had a plan to advance his gospel, started in Jerusalem, to go into Judea, to go into Samaria. And what was that last statement where God would advance his gospel? Unto what? The uttermost parts of the earth. 
Do you know what Ethiopia represents here? The uttermost part of the earth. And here you have the seed of the gospel fulfilling the plan of God through a man, a human, just like you and me, obeying God's calling and the opportunity God created. Look what Philip does here in verse, in verse uh, 30. So Philip what? Did he walk? Did he stroll? What did he do? He ran. Like, he was exactly where God wanted him to be, doing exactly what God wanted him to do. God points out this Ethiopian and says, Philip, go to this man. And what does Philip do? He runs. Like, this is such a powerful metaphor for us to obey the calling of God in our life. God brings people into our life that need the gospel. How are we responding? Sometimes we may physically need to run to these people, right? Like we see this witness of Philip here. He runs to this man and it says to him and says, I, I, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or someone else? And I love this. Look what Philip does. Then Philip opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, what does he do? He tells him the good news about Jesus. This is the mission of God. This is our mission as a church. We are reaching every street with the good news of Jesus Christ. God right now is giving you and creating opportunities for you to obey his calling. And this calling that he wants you to obey is exactly what we see here with Philip. And that is to tell others, to show others the good news about Jesus. So let me ask you this. Who has God put in your life right now who's on your mind and your heart? I want you just to stop for a second. I want you to think, who has God put in your life that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? Is it a neighbor? A classmate? Coworker? Like, I guarantee there's at least probably someone, right? At least one person right now that the Spirit could be bringing to your mind who's in your life who needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And my question for myself included, as I've thought about this and prayed about this this week, are we going to run to that opportunity? And just in case you were wondering, is it worth it to obey God's calling? Look at the blessing that Philip experiences here. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with scripture, told him the good news of Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And how did the eunuch respond? He went on his way rejoicing. You know why he's rejoicing? Because his life has been changed by the unstoppable gospel of God. As we started, there's been a unique joy for Patriots fan over these past 20 years. Like, I'm sure I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so I don't know anything about Super Bowls. Like, I, I just know, like, like, I get to enjoy chips and dip every, you know, that, that first Sunday in February. But there's got to be, like, there has to be this almost like this swagger to having experienced 20 years of, like, basically winning every year. And, and, and like you have, you have these parades that, that roll through the city of Boston. You have these parties that take place. And, like, for those of you that are New England fans, it's got to be good, right? I mean, that's a fair statement, right? It's, it's got to be an enjoyable thing. It's got to be an enjoyable thing to, to see your team so successful. Come on, yeah, have a seat, guys. We're so glad you're here. Uh, to have a success year after year, year after year, year after year. We're all tired of it. But for those that are, for those of you, I can't talk this morning. I think I'm tired. For those of you that are New England fans, it's got to be something special. I want you to think about this for a moment. We have from Scripture here a promise that God's gospel is unstoppable. And God advances his gospel, as we've seen this morning, in some pretty unique ways, right? He allows difficulties. He sends missionaries. He even creates what we would see here as very unique opportunities for his gospel to advance. And for us as Christians, there's never going to be a time when in this advancement of the gospel that God ever loses. There's never going to be a time where we as Christians lose hope because we lost our coach or we lost our best player. No, no. God's gospel will continue to advance person by person, city by city. And the story that we see here in Acts, we are living still in today. And the good news is God can use you just like he used Philip to change where he lived and where he worked and where he played to see the world around him transformed. So my question for you and for me is like, are we going to run into these opportunities that God has given us to tell others about the good news of Jesus? We want our church to grow. We want our church to be healthier. And I believe one of the ways that we will see that happen is when we take serious this call of God to share the good news of Jesus with others. His gospel advances through difficulties, through sending missionaries, and through creating some pretty unique opportunities. But if we don't live lives that are led by the Spirit, like Philip, where we run to those opportunities, where we're living a life that is seeking and searching what God is doing, where we live, work, and play, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready to tell our neighbor more about Jesus if we're living in sin? Are we going to be ready to share to our coworker what our God is like and, and how he loves others if we ourselves don't enjoy that love of God? It's not going to happen, is it? 
So when we take seriously the fact that God's unstoppable gospel advances, when we take that seriously, it's going to change how we live. It's going to change what we love. It's going to change what we value. It's going to change our joy. How did the eunuch leave his interaction with Philip? He went on his way what? Rejoicing. Because his life has been changed by the good news of Jesus. We of all people should live lives filled with joy because God's unstoppable gospel has changed us now and forever. So as we leave this morning, let us leave with great joy, but also with great calling to reach every street, every person with the good news of Jesus Christ. And as God lays people on your heart and on your mind right now, man, leave today making a plan and having a purpose. Take that good news of Jesus to where you live, to where you work, and to where you play so that lives will be changed for the glory of God. Amen? Father, we are so grateful that you love us, that you care for us, that you give us all that we could ever need and want in Jesus. Lord, I pray that if someone would be in this room this morning, Lord, that doesn't know Jesus, Lord, would that, would that person this morning experience your love? Would they call out in faith to you and experience new life in Jesus Christ? If you're here today and you are unsure of whether or not you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, I'd invite you this morning to right now in your seat to call upon the name of the Lord. There's nothing hindering you from confessing your sins to Jesus to knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness and to give you the life that you so desperately long for, a life of joy and peace and hope. If you need to learn more, you have questions, I would invite you to find me once, the, once we conclude here, and I would love to answer any questions about the Bible, about Jesus. Maybe just even grab someone next to you and say, could you show me from Scripture? And I also pray that as you bring hearts and minds, excuse me, as you bring people to our hearts and minds, Lord, where we live and work and play, I pray that we would leave this morning not just with a little prick in our conscience, Lord, but with a name. And Lord, we go home and make a plan. And we would then execute that plan of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in his name.